There was an uh, old man one day, and his grandson were sitting on the front porch, and they were just kind of looking out over the yard. And in the yard, the grandfather had five or six uh, bird dogs just laying there, kind of being lazy. And all of a sudden, one of them jumped up and started barking and just tore off behind the house. Well, the other dogs, they followed suit. They jumped up and chased after the dog to see what was going on. And after a while, all the dogs came back except that one that had jumped up and originally started the chase. And the grandson asked his grandfather, said, well, where's that dog? And he said, well, that, that dog there, that's the best bird dog I've ever seen. You see, he's the only one that actually saw the bird and went after it. The rest of them just got caught up in the excitement and chased after him. And when they didn't see the bird, they gave up quickly and came back. But he's still out there in the chase. See, the problem was that simply being caught up in the excitement of one dog doing something didn't last for the other dogs. I believe we in the church, and of course I include the church and our church here, but I think one of the issues with the church is we face a similar problem. See, the church is a movement of people. There are people in the church, in our church, and other churches who, who are excited for the things of God, who are ready for all this stuff to be over and get moving for God and get doing something for the Lord and seeing people saved and baptized and growth groups started. And they're, they're excited about it and they're ready to do something about it. There are other people who are sacrificing of themselves. They're giving their time or their resources or their money to help build the kingdom of God. And then there are a lot of people who are just being swept up in the excitement. They never saw the bird. They never caught the vision. They never saw what really all the excitement is about. They're just chasing after the excitement. And after a while, it'll die down. Their excitement will fade, and they will not stick what they do what they started. Our church right now, we've been talking about uh, how we can finish through faith what God has begun in our lives. And our church is in, in a very exciting time right now. Uh, the, of course, the restrictions are being lifted a little bit more uh, every couple weeks. Uh, now we can start meeting in groups of 50 outside the church. And so that opens up more possibilities for can we start Sunday schools now, uh, restart Sunday school again? Should we begin our growth groups now or wait a few more weeks and see what restrictions are like? And so there's a lot of things that we're getting excited about and we're planning for that when the restrictions are finally lifted, we're not just sitting here thinking, well, now what do we do? But we can go forward for God and really explode on our community and see people uh, introduced to Christ and introduced to the church and just go out there evangelizing and reaching our community and helping people and discipling people. And we're, we're planning canvassing days. We're planning cookouts and community outreach events. And I believe that God has allowed this time uh, of the coronavirus and this time out for a purpose. I believe God allowed this to begin a work for his kingdom in the hearts of his people and bring revival to the church. And it's it's going to be an exciting time to see God work and does he God grow his church for his honor and his glory. And there's going to be people here who are excited and they're getting on board and they're starting classes and they're starting growth groups and they're participating. They're inviting people. They're they're just giving of themselves and they're getting excited and then there's going to be a lot of us who just don't really catch the vision we get on board with the excitement because man movement is exciting and we see people moving so we're like i don't know what they're doing but i'm going there too 
But after a while, our excitement fades and we don't finish what we started. Our excitement won't last. Some of you, maybe myself included, we will not, we'll start strong, but we won't finish because we're just going along with the crowd. We're just following the excitement. We were never truly changed. So this morning, we're going to look at a man that didn't just join in the excitement of the ministry of Christ, but he was truly changed by the gospel. And he is introduced in Scripture as one of the greediest, most financially corrupt, and stingiest people in the Bible, but because he catches the vision of Christ, because he is changed by the gospel, and not just caught up in the excitement of what's going on, he becomes one of the most generous men in the entire New Testament. And so this morning I want to show you what he saw so that we can see through him how to live continually with the vision that God has for us. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jesus entered in and passed through Jericho. And behold, there is a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, the, the word publican there, it literally means a tax collector. So basically, Zacchaeus worked for the IRS that automatically makes him not a popular guy. He was not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector of the entire area. So he was not very well liked. Let's be honest, most of us do not like the IRS unless they're mailing us a stimulus check. And then we still don't really like them that much because we're not sure they're going to take this off my taxes next year or we're going to get everything we're supposed to get. Like, for instance, we, when we got our stimulus check, we did not get our, our money for owning Parker, our oldest son, for him living with us. We didn't get a stimulus check for him because he's over 17. So he, because he's over 17, we don't get a stimulus check for him. He has a job. That's fine. But he didn't get it either because he's a dependent. So he depends on me for food and shelter, so he doesn't get the stimulus. But since he's over 17, I don't get it either, even though he depends on me. And so I'm not really that upset. I didn't get it, but I think somebody should have gotten it. Preferably me, but if I'm not going to get it, someone should get it. So even when they're giving us money, we complain they didn't give us enough money. That we're not truly happy with what they did. So, and we really don't like them when you get audited. Man, they can make your life miserable for years just by a few simple mistakes. Can I get an amen? I know a couple people have been through that. In Jesus' day, the tax collector was more than just an unpopular government official. He was considered a traitor and a thief. See, when Rome conquered Israel, they wanted to tax the people of Jerusalem heavily. But they knew if they sent in a Roman citizen or a Roman governor or a Roman official to do it, he wouldn't be successful because he didn't know where all the money was hidden. 
He didn't know how the, the Jews, of, wouldn't know how the Jews of the area hid their cash or hid their sashes. So he didn't know who really had money and who really didn't have money. So what they did was they would hire a Jew to be the tax collector because he knew the area. He knew the people. He knew where they kept the money. He knew who was hiding what they really had. He knew all the gossip of the area. So they would hire this Jewish person to be the tax collector, and they would give him a security force of some Roman guards so that he wouldn't be attacked, number one, but also he had force to forcibly collect the taxes. And the Roman government told him, here is how much we want you to collect from people. Anything else you collect above that is yours to keep. So these Jewish officials would go to their friends, their families, their, their neighbors, their, their fellow Jews, and with force, they would take way more than the Roman government asked. They would send to Rome what they needed to send to Rome, but they used the rest to make themselves wealthy, to make themselves rich. And if someone didn't pay the taxes, these Jews could have them arrested or beaten or killed. So these tax collectors, these publicans were hated by the Jewish people because they were seen as traitors. They gave, they tra they gave up their own people for their own wealth and their own benefit. They weren't made to, they took this job. There's a, a written Jewish tradition called the Jewish Mishnah. And in the Jewish Mishnah, it states that a tax collector is not even considered a human. They say it's okay to lie to the tax collector because it's not a sin to lie to an animal. They did not like these people. And Zacchaeus, he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector of the entire area. So he not only got money from the people he collected from, but everyone below him, they would collect extra money and give him some of their money and keep some for themselves while they sent the rest to Rome. So he was hated by everyone. And he was very wealthy. So what, what causes someone to betray their own people like that? To reject their own people and be hated by people like that? <clears throat> In Zacchaeus's case, it was his love of money and power. You know, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, people always say, you know, money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil because the love of money will cause you to do terrible things to get it, like betray your own people. I become a traitor to the Jews. And so Zacchaeus, he betrayed his people, he betrayed his country, and he betrayed God. And no one does that naturally. He was so possessed with the love of money, that he was willing to lie, to cheat, to steal, and to sell out his relationships to get it. So let's keep reading about Zacchaeus in verse number 3. It says, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press, because he was of little stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass 
that way. So Zacchaeus, he's heard a lot about Jesus throughout the, throughout the community. Of course, he just now has been going for a couple years, and his ministry has gotten very large, and a lot of people have heard about him. And so they hear that he's coming to Jericho, and Zacchaeus, as a, a leading official, he wants to meet this guy, see what he's all about, see what's going on. So he, he tries to get to Jesus to see what, what, what he's all about. Who's this guy that's causing a stir? But because he's, he's short... And because he's hated, he can't get to him. So he runs ahead of him and he climbs up in a tree just to get a glimpse of him. And he, he, it wasn't just, you know, we always say, you know, he's a wee little man. And he was, he was short. But also he was so hated by the people of the area, they wouldn't let him near Jesus. They wouldn't let him into the crowd. First of all, you're a short dude who's everyone hates trying to get to people. Obviously, he, he was having some trouble. So he runs ahead. He climbs up in a tree to see Jesus. Now, when I was reading this and studying this week, I thought, how many people in our lives have wanted to see what Jesus is all about, but we as followers, for some reason, wouldn't let them? We didn't agree with their lifestyle. We thought they were, they were different or they, they didn't belong or we thought poorly of them. And so we think, well, you know, they can, God can do nothing with them or, or they're not worthy of this or they're not really going to care. They're just here to mock. So we, we keep people from getting to Christ because we don't like them, because we don't agree with them. We don't agree with their politics or we don't think they're sincere. You know, the sad thing is that most people who have a seeking knowledge of Jesus, they don't have a desire so strong that they'll climb a tree to see what's going on. They'll just move on. You know, as a believer, it's never our job to determine if someone is worthy to come to Jesus. It's only our job to bring them to him. But let's keep reading verse number five. The Bible says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste. And come down, for today I must abide in thy house. Now, to me, this is an odd situation. Jesus right now, he's very popular in the area. He's very well known in the area. He's got some, some movement going. He's got some, some people following along with him. And so as he's coming to the area, as a kind of almost a celebrity, he would have been welcomed in the house of the, 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 the ruler of the city or the chief priest. He's popular and loved. He's headed to one of the most powerful cities in the area, but he doesn't ask to speak to the ruler of the city. He doesn't ask to see the chief priest. He chooses the most despised, unpopular man in the entire city. The short, greedy tax collector Zacchaeus. You know, this really drives home the verse of Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, where it says he is a friend of publicans and sinners. I don't know about you, but I am glad Jesus is a friend of sinners. Because if he wasn't a friend of sinners, I couldn't be his friend. But he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to those who could not do anything for themselves and who were hated by everyone else. He came for the publicans and the sinners. Let's keep reading in verse number six. It says that he made haste, Zacchaeus here, and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, all they murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with the man that is a sinner. So during this time, one of the to eat with someone, to go to their house, to share a meal with them, it was a sign of intimate fellowship. It meant that you were accepting them and you were committing yourself 
to a loving relationship with him. And so Jesus is extending an invitation to Zacchaeus before he cleans up his act. Before he gets his life right. Before he's loved by everyone or changed, Jesus is extending an invitation of fellowship with him. And the Pharisees see that and say, he's eating with sinners again. Now, if Zacchaeus had cleaned up his life and then Jesus had accepted him or then Jesus had had dinner with him, they wouldn't have objected to it. They would have said, oh, well, he was a bad guy, but now he's, he's doing right. He's forsaken what he was doing before. Now he's living right. So now Jesus can, can have something to do with him. But Jesus doesn't make anyone do that. He doesn't make anyone clean up their life before he invites him into fellowship. He goes to eat with this man before he is worthy. Before he is acceptable in the eyes of the Pharisees. See, Jesus is showing us the difference between the gospel and religion. See, religion says change your life, clean up your life, and then God will accept you. Then Jesus will accept you. See, the gospel says the opposite. The gospel says God accepts you just as you are. And because of that, because of the love and acceptance you are shown by God, you will want to change your life. See, the gospel doesn't offer, doesn't offer God's acceptance as a reward for changing. The gospel is the power to actually change. The gospel is the only thing that can change us. And we see that in Zacchaeus' life. Look at verse number 8. So it says, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give unto the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. See, religion says go and do this and then you'll obtain salvation. Jesus says salvation has come to you. It's a free gift. And in response to accepting it, you will change. And it, it brought an incredible change to the life of Zacchaeus. Anyone who he stole from, which was a lot of people, he would restore them fourfold. Now, the Levitical law said that if you stole from someone, you were only responsible for giving them what you stole plus kind of a 20% penalty. There was only one instance where if you stole from someone, you had to give them four times what you stole, and that was if you stole a cow. I don't know why they had such a high priority on cows, but if you stole a cow, you had to give back one cow plus four more. So Zacchaeus, he isn't giving people back this money because he has to. He's doing it because he wants to. And then there's, there's no command in Scripture, and Jesus says nothing about giving 50% of his wealth to the poor. But he says, Jesus, not only am I going to restore fourfold what I've taken, but I'm going to take 50% of everything that's left. I'm going to give it to the poor to help them. This man that was willing to betray his country, his family, and his friends to get money is now eagerly giving it all away. What happened to Zacchaeus? Money no longer had a hold on him because he had found a greater treasure than money, and that's a relationship with Jesus. He saw that Jesus was a greater God than money ever could be. 
Jesus loved him. Money would never love him back. Zacchaeus could love money, but it would never return the affection. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus and pursued him after Zacchaeus had failed. Money couldn't and wouldn't do that. Money says, if you fail me, I'm going to leave you and then you're going to be miserable. So you better do whatever you have to do to get me and keep me. Jesus was establishing a kingdom that would last forever. Zacchaeus knew that money could never do that. He knew that his money would only last as long as his life. And when his life was over, any pleasure he could get from his money was gone. Jesus gave him power over sickness and the grave. He spoke and the lame walked and the, the blind saw and the, the dead came out of the grave. Psalm 1611 says, that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, fullness of joy is the highest amount of joy you could ever experience. And pleasure forevermore is the longest duration of pleasure that you can have. And Zacchaeus had gotten a taste of that. And when he did, money lost its hold on him. So he gave it away. The Puritans call this the expulsive power of a new affection. Our affection, our awe of Jesus becomes so large that all the things that captivated us before we fell in love with Jesus, they, they lose their power over us. And Zacchaeus, he'd become captivated by a greater affection, by a greater treasure because he had turned his eyes to Jesus. You know, that's why sometimes I got to push some of y'all so hard just to get involved in what we're doing. Push y'all to help out on work days. Push y'all to help out in ministries like helping out during Sunday school or in the, the nurseries or, or joining the growth group or joining the Sunday school class or getting involved when we, when we go uh, door knocking and canvassing in the area. Or, you know, some of y'all who, y'all are here, but a lot of you are still watching on Facebook and you could be here. You go out to work every day, you go to the store every day, you go to Walmart all the time. And look, if you can go to Walmart, you can go to church because Walmart is a petri dish of the plague. <laughs> so if you can go there or Target, ugh. If you can go there, you can go to church. But too many people, they use this as an excuse. Why? Because they haven't really caught a vision of Jesus. That's why i got to push you hard and kind of, you know, smack you around to get you on fire and doing what I believe God wants us to do. That's why i got to push to be faithful to services, to help with the work, to give of your treasure, because you've never really seen the full, in the, the full wonderful face of Jesus and captivated him. So i got to smack you around to get you to move. But if you would just see Jesus as Zacchaeus did, if you would just experience what he experienced, I wouldn't have to do that. You would automatically want to do what God wants you to do. So whatever's holding you back from getting involved, from being a part, from giving wouldn't matter to you anymore. It's not that what you're clinging to, your, your family, your success, your time, your money, that it doesn't matter at all. It just means it doesn't matter as much anymore. So the story of Zacchaeus, I believe, has a few lessons for us this morning. Here's the first one. Our relationship problems with Jesus comes from our idolatry. 
You know, idolatry is when anything has become so important to us that you crave it, you depend on it, and you can't be happy without it. And a lot of us are struggling with our relationship with God, and sometimes we blame it on God. Well, God's just not talking to me anymore. I, I read my Bible, I just don't get anything out of it. I pray, and I just don't feel like, you know, my prayers are getting anywhere. And look, there are a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you have sin in your life. Bible says that if you've got sin in your life, you would, God will not hear you. Maybe you've got pride in your life, which is a sin, and God's resisting the proud. But maybe you're just so captivated by something else that you're just going through the motions to get it over with and wonder why you're struggling in your relationship with God. For Zacchaeus, his idol was money. He worshipped it as the thing, the greatest thing that life had to offer him. He was willing to steal, to lie, and to hurt his own people because he loved money more than anything else. You know, a lot of us are like Zacchaeus and money as our idol. And we do whatever we can to get it, to earn it, to keep it, and to enjoy it. No, because some of us, we cheat on our taxes to get a little bit more back in our tax refund. Maybe skim, you know, cheat the numbers a little bit just so you can get a little bit more. You lie on your time card. You take on debt that you can't afford so you can have a higher standard of living. You work so much that you're neglecting your, your relationships with your family and your friends. Maybe you make poor life decisions like moving to, a, to get a job that pays more even though it's taking you away from a good church and good relationships because you got to have that almighty dollar. We are jealous of those that have more than us. We refuse to give God the first fruits of our increase because it means that we have to do with less. And those problems are true no matter what your idol is. If it's your time that is your idol, you don't want to give up what precious little time you have. You're unwilling to do anything that takes more of your time, even if it's for the kingdom of God. You won't go to an extra service. You won't go to a, a growth group. You won't spend extra time in your Bible and prayer. You're not going to help out at a work day. You're not going to give any more of your time because your time is precious. Your time is too valuable to you, and you can see it, and you can see it in whatever your idol is if it's your family. Some of us, our family is our idol. And we don't want to do anything that will take us away from our family or we'll hurt our family or we'll maybe we'll neglect our family. And so we think we can't do anything for the church. We can't give any extra. We can't do any extra because if we do, we're taken away from our family. And that's the most important thing to us. Whatever your idol is, you can see the problem that you are unwilling to do anything for God because it may take away from your idol. It's because you are unwilling your, so your, your relationship problem with Jesus isn't because he is demanding too much of you. It's because you are unwilling to give up what you idolize to spend time with and spend time for him. So that brings us to the second lesson. Seeing Jesus as preeminent kills our idols. See, Zacchaeus didn't become generous because Jesus commanded him to. He became generous because he wanted to. Look at verse 6 again. It says, And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. That's talking about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus made haste. He came down and he received 
Jesus joyfully. At that moment when he received Jesus, he accepted Christ as his Savior and he became a believer. And it wasn't about the law, it was about love. One afternoon with Jesus did more than all the law could do. It changed his heart. Actually seeing Jesus as the most important, the most valuable, the most precious thing in life changes you. It makes you love others like you're supposed to love others. Makes you stop gossiping about other people or criticizing other people and be willing to help other people. Even if it takes away from you and you got to give a little bit of your time or give a little bit of your effort or give a little bit of your money because you love people, you're willing to do whatever you can for them and treat them the way that you want to be treated. It makes you be generous. It makes you be willing to give of yourself to meet the needs of others and introduce them to him. Zacchaeus didn't become generous because he heard a sermon on generosity. He became generous because he had soaked up the grace of Jesus. And how much more have we than Zacchaeus experienced the grace of the gospel in our lives? You know, Jesus' last statement in this story, it shows us the relevance of the story. Look at verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, we can see ourselves in Zacchaeus. We can see what Jesus did for us. Zacchaeus deserved to be despised, but Jesus invited him into fellowship, giving him the highest compliment of the time. And that's what Jesus did for us. We deserve scorn. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be rejected by God, but we've received grace and mercy and acceptance from God. He gave us fellowship. We deserve judgment, but Jesus took our judgment and he gives us joy. See, Zacchaeus, he climbed the tree to see Jesus because he was despised. Yeah, he was short. But he was also hated by everyone around there, so they wouldn't let him in. So because he's despised, he climbs a tree. Jesus hung on a tree and died so he could be accepted. He was rejected so he could be part of the family of God. In Deuteronomy 21-23, the Bible says, For he that is hanged is accursed of God. The Jews believed that anyone who died on a tree or a type of tree like the cross was despised by God. So you see what happened there? Jesus traded places with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus got the warmth of fellowship because Jesus took the scorn. Zacchaeus got the joy of a relationship with God because Jesus took the pain. That's exactly what he did for us in Isaiah 53. Says, all we are like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's what turns Zacchaeus into the most generous man in the New Testament. That's what changed him a relationship with Jesus. How much more should it change us? The only way 
that we are going to kill our idols is by focusing on the cross and seeing God and seeing Christ high and lifted up. When we see Jesus as preeminent, our idols are seen for what they really are. Worthless trinkets that steal our joy. And that's the mark of someone truly changed by the gospel. Someone who sees Jesus as he, as he is. They don't need to be made, made guilty to give, to serve, to show grace. They do it naturally. See, Zacchaeus shows us what it's like to have your life completely changed by a fellowship relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're asking yourself, praise team's going to come up here now and start playing for me. <coughs> so Zacchaeus show us, shows us what it looks like to have your life completely changed by a fellowship relationship with Jesus. So you may be asking yourself this morning, okay, well, the preacher's trying to get us involved again, trying to get us to give again. How much do I have to sacrifice to make him happy? What's the minimum I have to do to get him off my back? Then you're, you're missing the point. I'm not trying to get you to do anything that Jesus doesn't want you to do because you're changed by a relationship with him. I'm not trying to get you to fulfill a commitment to make me happy or to make God happy. I'm trying to get you to truly fall in love with Jesus to make yourself happy, to help you experience the joy and grace that God has to offer you. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you remind yourself constantly about how great Jesus is? You have to constantly remember what he did for you. Remember what he endured for you. Remind yourself what it cost him to purchase your salvation. And when you see that, when you see what he did for you, giving your time, giving your effort, giving your money, seems pretty easy. So here's a question we have to wrestle with this morning. What is keeping you from having the relationship with God that you want? What is your idol? What do you love more than him? Maybe you're here this morning, the thing you love more than him is yourself because you've never truly accepted him as your savior. You've gone through the motions. You come to church, you sing the songs, you do the right things, but you've never truly understood what Jesus did for you. As we said before, the entire Bible is a story of God's love for you. How God loved you so much that even though we were sinners, condemned to hell, deserving of hell, worthy of hell, He took on the form of a baby, lived a perfect, sinless life, did for you what you could never do by completely fulfilling the law of God. And He died in your place and your sins were placed on Him as He hung on that cross. And He took the punishment that you deserved and He died and He was buried. But three days later, He rose again, proving that He was God and proving that through a relationship with Him, you could have fellowship with God again. Maybe you've never done that. You need to come forward this morning and accept Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're here and you just, you know what your idol is. When I'm talking about idols, you know what it is because it's coming to your mind. Maybe you need to come forward and say, God, I, I'm going to give up my idols now. I'm going to reject them and forsake them and 
seek a relationship with you. Whatever the Holy Spirit laid on your heart, let's all stand together as the, as the praise team begins to sing. Whatever the Holy Spirit laid on your heart, come forward and talk to him this morning.